those that are steadfast, those that are consistent in walking with the Lord. That's what God is looking for in this day and hour that we live. Amen. Turn with me, please. Book of Matthew, chapter 7. We're going to begin reading verse number 16. We'll go through verse 20. Good to see everyone in the house of the Lord. I will tell you that this schedule, 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays, uh, will continue through the month of November. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to move cautious and not rush and to minimize uh, exposure. So you can plan on the month of November will be this, except the Sunday before Thanksgiving. We'll have a 10 a.m. service and we'll have lunch afterwards, but we'll keep you notified of that. All other Sundays will be this schedule. Amen. Verse number 16 says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Verse 20 says this, Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. I want to talk just a little while this evening on the character of Christ. The character of Christ. Amen. Lord bless you as you're seated in the presence of the Lord. We speak of character, and what we're really saying is who the person really is. We often talk about a person's reputation, but a reputation is somebody's opinion of you. It's not who you really are. For instance, I could have, I could go to a restaurant, let's just use a restaurant for example, I could go to a restaurant and have a tremendous experience, food be great, service be phenomenal, and I leave and, and that place has a good reputation in my mind. Brother Darrell Black can go to that same restaurant, have horrible food, Horrible experience. And we're talking about the, uh, we get to talking and we mention the same restaurant. But we've got two different perceptions and they've got two different reputations because a reputation is what somebody thinks about you. But character is who you really are. Okay, reputa your, your reputation can vary from person to person to person. But your character is, is the core of who you are. It's who God sees you are. You're going to be that same person when nobody's around or when everybody's around. That's your character. Now, the character of Christ, I believe that we should glean our character from his character. I believe that those words in red ought to be what guides us, not that we should neglect the whole book, but I believe that if we're going to try to be like anybody, we need to be like Christ. Christian character, that means that our character 
involves our conversation. It involves our behavior. It involves our holiness, which is beyond just what we see. Our attitude, our speech, conduct, and our humility. And that's just a few. Colossians 3 says this, verses 9 and 10. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So when you came to God and you got the Holy Ghost, Brother Spanky, what was really happening in the spirit world is you were putting off the old Brother Spanky. The old conduct, the old conversation, just like you're changing garments, you're putting it off, and you put on the new man, which means my conversation can't be the same of what I put off. My conduct can't be the same of what I put off. I'm putting off the old man, and I'm putting on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him, which is Christ. Ephesians 4.22 follows this up and says that she put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. So let's talk about the old man. Which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. So the old man is corrupt by sin. The old man can't achieve righteousness. The old man cannot earn salvation. It's corrupt according to the seedful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Do you realize when man sinned, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were naked and not ashamed. Because their mind was still formed and fashioned after that of Christ. And when man sinned, the Bible says his eyes were opened. His knowledge changed. It became corrupt. It became vile. Deceived. The mind did all that. So the knowledge have to, has to change. That's why living for God, the book says in Ephesians 4.23, we have to be renewed in the spirit of our mind because that's the first thing that was affected in the garden was the mind. And so that's the one thing that if you're going to live for God, you have to continually keep under subjection. You have to continually bathe it in prayer. Is, is you got to line it up with what God wants and His Word. So let's talk about the fruit of the Spirit and the works of the flesh. They're not two separate trees. They're from the same tree, the same body, the same individual. The difference is before Christ, after Christ. All right? Galatians 5.16 says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. 
and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. We had a great Dane. We raised great Danes growing up. And, and we had three outside, and we had one in the house. And those great Danes, my favorite dog, we would take a big old chew toy, and you, you get a hold of that Great Dane, and that Great Dane will just start dragging you and slinging you all over that backyard when we were kids. And that chew toy represents humanity. And on each side is one's the spirit and one's the flesh. And every day you wake up, if you can envision that, that's what's happening in the spirit world. Is the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And we are the chew toy between the two. There's a war. It's raging. The flesh wants to win. The spirit wants to win. There's never going to be a time when the, the flesh and the spirit agree. It's not going to work. It's not going to happen. So verse 19 says this, The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But... The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. So let's go through these just for a moment. This is not an exhaustive list, but I want to hit a few. Uncleanliness. The Greek word is akatharsha. It don't matter anyway. Nobody in here is Greek. It means anything opposite of purity, sodomy, bestiality, and homosexuality. I want you to understand something. This is Paul writing 2,000 years ago. The problem is not society. The problem is sin. This is 2,000 years ago when he's dealing with this. This kind of stuff was in the Old Testament when, Lot, when, when the angels showed up at Lot's house to pull them out and it was a bunch of homosexuals wanting to sleep with the angels. And they had to strike him with blindness. Yes, society can enhance it, but the stuff we're seeing today is not a society problem. It's not a culture problem. It's a sin problem. It's the works of the flesh. And a president ain't going to fix it. Government's not going to make it any better or change it. Only God can fix the, the works of the flesh. Paul is dealing with this junk. He said uncleanness. That's the work of the flesh. And he goes on, and if you break it down, it's anything opposite of purity. So let's go to the next one. Lasciviousness which means anything that fosters lust and sexual sins are lustful. So those two go hand in hand. 
me just let me just break it down and say this. There are some things that are not bad in themselves. But if they foster or create a habitat for lust to breed, they're wrong. Okay? It could be men, not that you would read it, but it could be a Southern Living magazine. I'm trying to create a hypothetical situation, okay? And that's fine if you read Southern Living, and I got nothing against it. But if there's something in that magazine that sparks lust in you, that's lasciviousness. It fosters, it breeds lust. I'd, I'd cancel my subscription to Southern Living. Not that there's anything wrong with the magazine, but it's what it fosters and what it leads to. Am I making sense? Okay. Then there's idolatry. Idolatry is anything on which we set our affection that robs God of that affection. And I've touched on this before. Idolatry does not mean we've got wooden statues sitting in our house that we kneel down and worship to. Idolatry is much more sophisticated today because idolatry can look like a fishing pole. It can look like a tree stand. Okay? It can look like you fill in the blanks. It can look like Monopoly if you love playing Monopoly. Our images that we worship, they're a whole lot more sophisticated today. But it's what is it doing in the heart? What's it doing in the heart? That's what makes it an idol. Bible says that in the last days, men will be lovers of pleasure. More than lovers of God. Now listen to me. I fully understand and am aware that it's impossible for you to never go on vacation, to never have some time to relax. You, you, you've got to have that. You've got to have time with your family. I am a full endorser of family time and, and getting away and relaxing and recharging your batteries. I think I've proven that now. I'm not going to beat you up if you come to me and say, I just got to get out of town and go on vacation. I'm going to say, great. I want you to go. But where we have to guard ourselves is when we pursue pleasure more than we pursue God. It's about balance, about keeping things balanced in your family, in your walk with God. God doesn't want you to put pitch a tent and never leave his house. Because he ain't in this house. He's in you. It's not about this structure. You are the temple. You are, you are, you, you need to get away and get refreshed and get relaxed and have fun with your family. Not, not against it. But it's about keeping things balanced, pursuing God, and maintaining pleasure in your life. Making sure that nothing else takes away that affection that God desires. Here's one that I thought was interesting. Witchcraft. Nobody in here, if I raised your hand and asked you if you practice witchcraft, I don't think anybody in here would raise your hand. If you do, you're pretty brave. But watch what it means in the Greek. Pharmakeia, where we get the English word pharmacy. Medicine. Drugs, 
Now, let me clarify. I'm not saying go home and throw your blood pressure medicine away. I'm not. But watch this. Watch how the enemy will take something that's good and try to twist it and get you dependent upon it. Okay? Let me walk you down this road. You remember what happened when the serpents were eaten away at the Israelites? And God told Moses, get a brazen serpent, fashion it, the brass, and that of a serpent, raise it up on a pole, and when they look at the serpent, they're going to be healed. Y'all remember that? And then this is what the Scripture says in the Gospel, that the Son of Man, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so shall the Son of Man be lifted up. So what do you think happened when Jesus was being beat? It's the same parallel of why when the, when the serpent was being beat in brass. He was beaten. He was lifted up. And everybody that looked to him would be healed. That's what Calvary did. It provided healing. But the enemy wants to get people hooked on pills so they never embrace Pentecost. What is the standard symbol for pharmacies? If you look, it's a serpent wrapped around a pole because he wants people to get hooked on that which God tried to eliminate. That's what Calvary was for. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Calvary was the substitute for the brazen serpent. But 2,000 years later, that brazen serpent is still hanging around. Still hanging around. Witchcraft, those that do drugs... I'm not talking about you taking blood pressure medicine, diabetes medicine. I'm not talking about that. But the drug world is the spirit of witchcraft. Right, Brother James? It's the spirit of witchcraft. Not that he's taking drugs. I'm just sorry. I'm just naming names. Just naming names. It's the, in this area, the spirit of witchcraft is prevalent. It's prevalent. Amen. Let's look at another one. Concupiscence, which means to crave that which is forbidden, to lust after evil. This is what 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3 says. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which, didn't, which knew not God. You got to remember, the only people that was meant to be saved were Jews. Only. And all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the world, there were people that were not Jews. They were the enemies of God. We were the enemies of God. Unless you're a Jew and you're just undercover. You're the enemy of God. The only reason we have a chance to be saved is because he opened the doors to the Gentiles for a season, for a short time frame. And so when Paul is talking to the church at Thessalonica, he's talking to Jews 
And he said, every one of you should know how to possess his, your vessel in sanctifi sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which represent the world, the ungodly, the enemies of God, which know not God, because they crave that which is forbidden. They crave that which was evil. We continue with the list. Variance, which means contention. Now, you'll find this in churches. You'll find pockets of contention amongst people. That's hard to believe, Brother Chase. That now we, we may have the lust in check. We may have the witchcraft in check. We have all of those, but there, that old variance got us. Contention amongst people. That's a work of the flesh. Emulation, which means indignation, anger, work of the flesh. Seditions, division, you'll find that in churches. You'll find division. Heresies, which means disunion, and revelings, which is rioting. we got that going on in the world right now. Revelings, rioting. These are all works of the flesh. The character of of Christ, if we are going to possess and portray and display the character of Christ, we cannot let the works of the flesh be prevalent in our life. How do I, how do I keep the works of the flesh under subjection? You stay attached to the vine. When you detach from the vine, you're going to attach to something else. And it's going to be the flesh. That carnal mind. This is what the Bible says in James 3.11. Doth a fountain send forth at the same place water, sweet water, and bitter water? If, if you're one way on Sunday and one way on Wednesday, you know what a hypocrite literally means? Actor. Actor. A hypocrite is an actor. They want you to believe I am this when in reality they are this. I read a sign one time in a pastor's office and he said, it said, uh, life is not a dress rehearsal. And I just stared at that. And I said, well, let me think about this. Life is not a dress rehearsal. What is a dress rehearsal? A dress rehearsal is all of the actors, everybody doing it like it's the real thing, but without the pressure and the urgency of the real thing. They know, oh, if we mess up, it's okay. This ain't the real thing. And, and, and there's a lot of people that are treating life as a dress rehearsal. They're, they're, they got their clothes right. They got the part right. They've got the, the, the wording right. But what they're lacking is the urgency that is associated with the real thing. My friend, we're not living in a dress rehearsal. This is the real thing. We've got one shot. That's it to make this count. James says, Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. Verse 16 says, For where envying and strife is, 
There is confusion in every evil work. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. The fruit of righteousness is sown in, in peace of them that make peace. Not keep peace. Make it. Make it. We are peacemakers. We should have the right spirit to step into a situation and defuse the situation. Make peace, not try to just keep the peace. You know what keeping the peace means? Trying to just go and appease everybody. It's not a matter of getting your spirit right. We're just going to pacify you. That's keeping the peace. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to make peace. That's why the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. So let's look at the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. John 15 and 8 says, Herein is my Father glorified. How is He glorified? That ye bear much fruit. So shall ye be my disciples. Joy. Isaiah 51 and 1 says, Therefore the redeemed of the Lord shall return and come with singing unto Zion. Everlasting joy shall be upon their head. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and mourning shall flee. If the enemy can get your joy, he can get your strength. Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You know, you can shout and not have joy. You can sing and not have joy. You can give and not have joy. You can go pray and not have joy. You can do all of the things you're supposed to do and not have the joy of the Lord. Joy is deeper than happiness. Happiness flees with the circumstances of life, but joy is embedded so deep within that regardless of what you find yourself in, you can be joyous in anything. The joy of the Lord. Peace. We belong to the Prince of Peace. Long-suffering, which means enduring without complaint. Gentleness, kindness or politeness, friendliness. Gentleness, kindness, politeness, friendliness. You know, I've met people that said they were full of the Holy Ghost, but they were some of the meanest people I've, you'd ever met. And I'm sitting here going, I don't know what version you got. But it ain't working. It ain't working. I believe that the people who are filled with the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, should be the friendliest people on the face of the earth. And let me say this. Oh, I'm gonna get I'm gonna step off in it, okay. You can be friendly with people that are in sin. Because friendliness does not mean you condone their behavior. It means you love them in spite of their behavior. Somehow we've got this ideology in the church world that means tolerance is approval. It's not. It's not. All right, parents, have your children ever done something that you disapproved of? I want you to raise your hand. All right, it should be every parent. Did you stop loving them even though you didn't condone their behavior? No. You still loved them. You didn't push them away. 
you tolerated some things, even though you didn't approve of them, you tolerated them because you love them. And we ought to treat sinners the same way. Just because you shake somebody's hand that is struggling and, 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 and all of Catahoula Parish knows what they're doing, that doesn't mean you're approving of their behavior. That means you're showing the love of Christ because Christ didn't go to the religious people. He went to the publicans and the sinners, yet he was spotless. We ought to have that gentleness, that, that goodness within us that says, I don't care what lifestyle you're living. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the love of Christ without condoning your behavior. You ain't got to worry. It ain't going to jump off on you. If they change you, I promise you, you giving them a handshake wasn't a problem. There was a deeper problem. We ought to show the love of Christ. Meekness, which is humility and mildness and balance of tempers. Meekness cannot be viewed as weakness. I've had conversations in the past, and you have too. And it usually goes like this. That was me. I, I tell you what, that was me. I do. I would lower the boom. I would. I draw my sword. I do this. I do that. Well, you know what? It ain't you. And usually, when you look at those people that find themselves in a situation like yours, they're not drawing no sword. They're not doing. Everybody can fix your problems. They just can't fix theirs. They got the answer for everybody. They just don't have the answer for themselves. You never go wrong erring on the side of mercy and meekness. There are things pastors taught me when I was an evangelist. They said, brother, you'll find out if you'll give it a little more time and a little more prayer. God can fix things at an altar that you never have to fix in an office. I'm, God didn't call me to control people. God called me to love people. man told me when I first started pastoring, he said, you can control about 70 or you can love thousands. I choose to love thousands. God, it's not my job to control you and tell you what to eat for lunch the next day. I, I don't care. I want you to make it to heaven. If you can't figure out what to eat for lunch, then there's a problem. It's not a spiritual problem. Amen. Temperance, which is self-control. Faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. There's the first one that I left to the last because it should be the first and the last. Love. Love. Charity. Paul said this. He said, I could speak with the tongues of men and angels. I could do all the miracles. I could do everything. But if I have not love, it doesn't matter. I have met people that were some of the most powerful men, but they weren't spiritual men. Because there's a difference in being powerful and being spiritual. In a perfect world, we'll balance spirituality and power. You'll be spiritually spiritual and powerful. But I've met spiritual people that'll never get a miracle. 
They don't operate in the realm of power. They're spiritual. They're consecrated. They love God. They got the love of Christ. And I've met powerful people that some of the carnal, most carnal people you'd ever meet. They're like the Corinthian church, full of carnality. Corinthian church was the most powerful church. Paul said you come behind in no gifts, but they were the most carnal church. Powerful does not mean spiritual. We get enamored with people that operate in the gifts. And that's not what God's after. Yes, they're there, but you can operate in all the gifts, all nine of the gifts, and go to hell. The love of Christ should be the first and the last. The love of Christ. That If you've got love, you'll have joy. If you've got love, you'll have temperance. If you've got love, you'll have meekness and faith. You've got to have love. This is what Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. You take a fruit tree and you cut that limb off and you put it on the ground. It could be full of apples if it's an apple tree. And you just give it a little time and it's going to die because you separated it from its source. It was severed. And if you sever yourself from the source, which is Christ, it's not going to show the effects the first day or the second day. But time will reveal that you have disconnected yourself from your source. There's another thing you've got to be weary of, and that's imitation fruit. You ever been at those tables where it's got all the fruit on the table and looks like the real thing until you touch it and handle it? And you realize it's imitation. There's some people from a distance that you look at and you think they got the real fruit until you get close to them. And you realize it's just an imitation. I don't want to be imitation fruit. I want to be the real fruit that if they look at me from a distance or they spend their ride in my truck, they see the fruit of the Spirit in my life on a daily basis. Amen. So, we got to ask ourselves. Let me give you some questions as I'm closing to ask yourself. You be your own fruit inspector, okay? First question, is it good for me? Is it good for me? 1 Corinthians 6 and 12, all things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Is it good for me? Secondly, is it glorifying to God? 1 Corinthians 10, 23, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. You've got to remember and think that would I be doing this and acting this way if Christ was right here next to me? What's the old saying? Out of sight, out of mind. But he's more than next to you. He's supposed to be in you. So would you be behaving like that or doing that? You've got to ask yourself that. Is it profitable and upbuilding? This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Fourthly, is it a stumbling block to others? 
1 Corinthians 8 and 9, But take heed, lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak. I, I remember listening to a preacher one time, very well-known preacher, talk about wearing a Rolex watch. So the reason he would never wear a Rolex is because not that there was anything with Rolex, but he said every time he, 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 I think he had a Rolex, every time he had put it on, all he could think about was teaching a Bible study to a new convert who was barely surviving. Families and just doing good to get food on the table. And he said, here I am with my Rolex. And he said, I, I decided not to be a stumbling block to people. There was nothing wrong with the Rolex. It was he didn't want to trip anybody up on their walk with God. And we need to keep that in mind. We don't want to be a stumbling block. Somebody that's spiritually mature, it may not trip them up, but it may trip up somebody who is not spiritually mature. So we need to remember that. Is it a weight? Therefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, which shows us that weight and sin are two different things. We know that sin will beset us, but what about the weight? There are things that weigh us down that are not sin. But if they weigh us down spiritually, it has the same effect. It so easily besets us. Finally, as you stand right now, we need to ask ourselves the question, what would Jesus do? Here's the scripture you want to think about, 1 John 2 and 6. He that saith he abideth in him, in other words, if you say you're walking with the Lord, ought himself also so to walk, even as he walked. So it's not enough just to talk it. You have to walk it. There are things that I've literally asked myself, if Christ were in my situation, how would Christ handle it? Nine times out of ten, I can guarantee you, it's going to be the opposite of what you think you should do. So the opposite. Your flesh and your mind cannot overrule the Spirit of God in you. Amen. It's not enough to be worried about your reputation. You can have horrible character but a great reputation. If you worry about your character, the reputation will take care of itself. Because you can put on a front and keep that reputation amongst people. And then when you're not around people, your character will crumble. But if you keep your character intact, the character of Christ, amen. Let's lift our hands right now.